she's pretty cool. Gord Steinke is arguably one of the best-known media personalities in Edmonton, but it's not as well known that he has serious street cred as a musician, starting his career touring with bands out of Saskatchewan and Ontario before deciding to pursue journalism. The RTDNA Lifetime Achievement Award honoree just celebrated his 30th anniversary with Global News. He joins us on this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, to talk about music, motorcycles, and retaining his passion for telling stories. Hi everyone, I'm Gord Steinke and I'm uh, the 6 o'clock, 5 and 6 o'clock news anchor uh, at Global Edmonton and I've been here actually I'm just celebrating my 30th anniversary with Global Television and it's just been a, a long, very wonderful uh, trip that I've had here and I just have to mention off the top that I was very happy Chorus Entertainment, who owns us, were kind enough to send me as a 30th anniversary gift a signed Keith Richards autographed uh, frame picture, which is now proudly hanging in my wall. So if there's any Rolling Stones fans out there who uh, are listening, I think you can just picture that. It's I think it's from the like one of the, maybe the Steel Wheels tour or something like that. But anyway, that meant a lot to me. I've seen a big Stones fan, big music fan. My background is actually in music. When I left high school, I was playing in a touring band called Slider out of Saskatoon. And then we uh, we were hitting all the all the hot spots, all the all the all the nightclubs and town halls, and a lot of traveling in a school bus across Western Canada. And then I I upped it up a little bit and uh, went out to Toronto and played with a band called Inner City. We recorded an album, and I did that for seven years. And then I've always been a storyteller and a songwriter. And I thought I'd like to take this when I got kind of tired of being on the road in hotels and hotel food. Well, mainly because too, the record never went very far. So that's another story. But anyway, I, I got into journalism. I went to University of Regina and I uh, took their journalism course and it's the best thing I could possibly have ever done. Uh, it was just such a, I had such wonderful teachers there. I ended up working as a photographer for the Regina Leader Post for a bit and then sort of a freelance reporter. And then I lucked into getting a job at CBC Radio and uh, the most fun with that was I was a writer researcher behind the scenes of some of the drive and talk shows that CBC is so uh, well well known for. And uh, one day it was a part time job and, the, and Barbara Nymark, the news director, came down and she said, you know, um, I'm sorry to say your, your research and writing job, you've been doing a good job, but it's over. It's ending in September. We're wondering if you'd like you've got a nice set of pipes. I guess that meant I had a, she liked the way it sounded in my voice. She said, would you like to get behind the mic and host one of our shows? And I said, there's no way in hell I want to do that. That just made me nervous. I thought I'd seen these guys, these great um, broadcasters in action. I didn't really, I was more happy just kind of doing pre-interviews and things like that. And she said, well, that's too bad because uh, unfortunately your job's ending in September. I said, okay, when do I start? So that's how I got going in, in radio. And I just had a ball working news and drive. And again, I had the best mentors. Some of these guys working in broadcasting had been there. I just realized they've been there as long as I've been here now. That's kind of crazy. But anyway, the same thing kind of happened after I filled in as a host. TV guys came down and they said, you know, if you cut your hair. And I said, well, I don't even know how to tie a tie. I'm not sure I really want to go on television. I'm not convinced that, you know, a minute 30 TV packages and clips are doing that doing it justice to the storytelling but they said well you know i'm sorry but uh, your radio job is ending here so i said well, okay when do i start so i had a friend who knew how to tie a tie and i just kept that on a hanger and then eventually i figured it all out and uh, yeah i ended up being the six o'clock anchor there for a little while fill in but i also did arts and entertainment and union stories and murders and uh, 
uh, you name it. So that was a real good place to, uh, as a learning ground in television. And then I began to realize the power of, of TV and how you can really grab an audience and tell a story and uh, really impact people's lives and maybe make a difference. So that was a lot of fun. And then I got a call after two years of that from Minneapolis, and it was an ABC affiliate called KSTP. And her name was Anita Cleaver. She used to work for Fox, but she'd gone over to uh, ABC and was starting an all news channel out of the station there. So I jumped at that chance. I had some family down there and uh, I spent four or five years uh, during the first Gulf War and that was all live television. It was just amazing. They put reporters out in the field. We had live trucks. I'd never seen anything quite like it. And it was a real cutting edge technology. And this is about 1989 I'm talking about. So um, that worked out well. And then I got an offer to, to come back to Canada and uh, join ITV back in the day. And that had quite a reputation with SCTV and John Candy and, and people like that, that were working here out of the station. They weren't, they'd been gone by now, but all the studio crew that I was working with all had great stories about the old SCTV days that were done out of Global Edmonton here, which was, which was ITV. And uh, it was wonderful to be back in Canada. That was 30 years ago, it was 1992. And uh, it's been just an amazing ride ever since and uh, covered all kinds of stories. And, I, and you know, from uh, terrible stories like little punky Gustafson, missing girls, murdered uh, people. But we use the power of television to try and, and, and generate tips and things back then. And just like we do now, and you hope that the stories you're telling, they might be tragic and terrible, but you hope that in some way it might might help police or help the families anyway, uh, get some answers and maybe some closure. Fort McMurray wildfires were, were a wild thing to cover. And, and that was a that was a real eye-opener for how technology in my business has changed over 30 years. The fires were raging behind us. And we were in a ditch and we had the capability now, just like we do now, to uh, broadcast live. We didn't need a big live truck or satellite or, or anything. So uh, we used that. I was in the ditch and the, with a cameraman, just the two of us in our truck started broadcasting into a getting ready to broadcast into our six o'clock and um rcmp landed their helicopter and said the wind shifted you guys better get out of here so the flames were coming and we went 20 minutes down the road and i'd say within two minutes we uh, after parking and getting the camera out we were on the air and didn't even miss our spot for the six o'clock news that's something that certainly changed because it used to take hours to be able to bring live live television to people right into their homes with breaking news so it's been a real thrill to see how all that has changed. And I've worked with such a wonderful, diverse, creative, intelligent, and thoughtful people, journalists here uh, over the years at Global that uh, it just makes every day coming to work fun. You never know what you're running into. Like, you just don't know what you're going to be, you know, every day is so different and just so exciting. And uh, it just kind of never gets old. I'd like to go back to your days touring as a bass player, because I can only imagine in the seventies in some of those towns that you played mm -hmm. that you would have encountered more than a few characters with sharp edges, not to mention some of the bands of the era. Oh, that's a, yeah. And I love talking about that. And, uh, I, there's so many stories. I mean, when you're on the road for, I was on the road for basically a good chunk of seven years and we were playing, um, uh, I'll just go, I'll take you right to, to where um, I was playing out of Toronto and we were, the band was Inner City Band and we'd recorded a, a record at Grand Avenue Studios that was owned by David Langlois' um, brother. So it was such a thrill. I was only 21, 22 years old and uh, we were writing and performing and while we were in the recording studio, we also had, were booked into to play all over the place. So we'd, one minute we'd be playing in Hamilton 
the next minute we'd be up in Wawa, it seemed like, and Sudbury and Nipigon and Geraldton, and then down to London, Ontario, and then playing somewhere in Toronto. It was it was just a wild ride. And and the characters that you meet in the bars, because you're in a lot of these towns for six days and you, you play every night, you, uh, except for Sunday, but you ha often have a matinee on Saturday. So I can remember um, guys like bands like Prairie Oyster, for example, or, or some of the guys from Blue Rodeo, they would if they were playing in the same town you were, they'd get up and we'd all have a big jam on a Saturday afternoon. And it was just such a, a special experience because what I was doing was pretty hard rock back in the late 70s, early 80s. So you'd get to meet all these other people that were playing either reggae or country and just the people that you met. And you saw some terrible uh, bar fights as well and, ter and terrible things. But at the same time, people would open up their, their homes to you on a Sunday and say, come on over for dinner and you'd get to know the people. And, and I love history. And I did back then. You'd get to know the towns with like Bracebridge and the Muskokas at Huntsville and, and Brandon, Manitoba and, uh, you know, Winnipeg. I played, you, I know you were familiar with the, the Curtis Hotel and the Black Knight and the Villa. All those great rock and roll stories back then, you'd, you'd just be crisscrossing across the country. Everybody, it seemed like the musicians were all doing the same thing bands had stories like we you know you'd, you'd, you'd <laughs> we'd be pulling a trailer behind the bus and then a, you get a flat tire and the next thing i'd be driving and i'd look over and go hey guys look at this a tire just passed us in the ditch and then you'd realize we've just lost a tire so you'd pull over and you'd have to deal with that at four o'clock coming out of wawa when it's minus 20. it's not all glamour that's for sure but it sure was a it sure was a, a great experience so when you made that transition into broadcasting eventually, do you think the performance aspect of broadcast news was informed by all that stage experience? Did it come easy to you? No, it didn't really come easy to me because um, because when you're doing broadcast, you're talking to one, it feels like you're talking to one person and it's very intimate. And I had to kind of get wrap my head around that because when you're on stage and you're singing and performing in front of a you know, a, a, a packed house, you've also got your whole band behind you as well. You're like a kind of like a football team. You're, you're up there, you're all working for the same thing. It, it's, it's more, it's more of a, a team effort and it, the feedback's immediate because you can see the crowd. So when I got, it was a totally different foreign experience for me and it was nerve wracking to get behind a microphone and then realize I'm, you know, you're talking to a, an audience, but you can't see them. You just, you're in a studio that's quiet. And I was used to sort of live performance, almost like a theater performance. And yeah, I found it very difficult. But uh, once I found out, I just love writing. So I, once I found, you know, you start writing the scripts and, and, and communicating, it's all about that. I, uh, it took a while, but I just, I fell in love with it. It's just a wonderful form of expression. And, and you know what the most fun is, Connie, is the, the best part is meeting people and interviewing them. I still think to this day, you know, every day I've got a different interview that I put into the five o'clock and uh, they're from all over the country or all over the world. And it can be on the Russia-Ukraine tragedy or it can be on, uh, you know, who's who's running for the Conservative Party of Canada. And, and uh, I just love the fact of, of meeting people like that. Or it can just be a guy like I did a story not long ago, a group of guys in Vegreville who ran a a junkyard basically they got the contract to to get the canadian leopard tanks that were used in afghanistan and repurpose them for target practice for the for the air force so you get to do all these different stories and see what's going on in all these different communities and i think that's what's so special about uh, this job is that uh, the people that you're meeting and that make up the backbone of our not just our community but canada and canadians 
is is just astounding really to me because every every story is different and they don't all have to be tragic they can be uh, you know heartwarming stories like cancer survivors and the resilience these people the courage these little kids have who who get cancer and beat it and then and the new developments that are going on we get to see that cutting edge right now and every day something new comes up that, that makes you think and feel that this is just a, you know, it's a wonderful country, even though we're so divided right now, but it's just fun to hear from all these people. So in marking your 30th anniversary with Global Edmonton, I imagine there was a lot of reflecting happening. And yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned a few, a few moments off the top, but ha- what are the moments that really stand out for you, both professionally and personally? Well, I'd have to say that uh, you know you think of the the big stories that you've covered and and some of the things that maybe uh, went wrong. I mean, I mean, I remember my first radio newscast, and I was nervous as, as can be, and and the, the host reaches over and lit my scripts on fire. It took the nervousness away, but I had to I had to uh, put the fire out and then read the story. But that kind of was a funny story that that stuck with me forever. But you know, I think it's it's the big stories. You know, you, every day you're in this sort of a hurly gurly whirlwind of daily news and it can be traffic accidents and stabbings and some political there's always political stories and of course it's been COVID, COVID, COVID which has been mind numbing um, over the last little while but you try to find the human stories of that, talk to the doctors, talk about the patients, people that have survived. That's hard to surpass what's happened in the last two years but before that would be the big ones like I mentioned the Fort McMurray wildfires and a team crew and we were on the ground there for, for a month and the stories of people who lost their homes and and how do you pick up the pieces after that, you know, and they're still rebuilding up there. And they're just such a wonderful community in Fort McMurray that there's, they're still, they just pull together. It's, that's a real team effort. So stories like that. And then the charity stuff I got involved with these kids with cancers, we do motorcycle rides and raise money and have a gala every spring and, and uh, get to know these kids so well. And they ride on the back of my motorcycle. We take, they come out of the hospital. They've got, they've just had the IV taken out. Their hair is gone and they put a helmet on. And then they start talking in my ear as I'm, I'm riding a Harley and they start telling me exactly what kind of cancer they had and, and how great the nurses were. And I mean, it, they're just so smart and just so tough. And it's stories like that, I think, that have really affected me over the years because it's uh, those are the ones you remember. You mentioned the mind-numbing news cycle, and <laughs> yeah. a lot a lot of veteran journalists have made the decision to tap out now during the mm-hmm. pandemic, both because of the news cycle and the discouraging climate for media. Yeah. Did it ever cross your mind over the last two years? Yeah, for sure. It's just, um, it's been really tough, and it's not just the pandemic. You can do that, but I'd have to say it's been the barrage of negative um, comments. I mean, I signed off Facebook finally. I couldn't take it anymore. I didn't want to. I didn't want to get on, uh, open up Facebook on a day off on Saturday morning to talk to my granddaughter in in Germany. And then the next thing, I got to wade through ten things where they calling me a liar and fake news. And uh, I, I used to watch you when you were, you know, when you when you weren't lying all the time. You can only take so much of that. So I just signed right off a lot of the social media just because of that. But um, I think that you have to work your way through all this. And I, I think if I did think that I'd like to go in, you know, eventually when this career ends and maybe mentor some journalism students, like I had such good teachers and just keep pumping to them and telling them and that, that it's an important role that, that we've got here and it's a needed role in society. And just like the job you do too, we're all in communications and uh, whether it be, you know, you're a pipeline 
to letting other people know there's other people like you out there and it could always be worse. And now we're dealing with this Russia, Ukraine, terrible catastrophe that's happening over there now. And I, I remember covering the, Bo the Bosnia Serb war and it reminds me of that. It also reminds me of the Gulf War. And, and it's been a long time since we've seen anything like this. And I know any veterans that are alive are going to be saying this reminds them of seeing the refugees coming out of Poland and Germany when the Russians were coming in at the tail end of World War II. And it's just tragic that humanity treats, we treat each other this way. It's, it's horrible to see, but at the same time, they need somebody to tell stories of what's going on in the world and uh, give you a snapshot of what's happening. So that's pretty honorable, but I, I'm, I'm sticking in there right now anyway, and uh, we'll, we'll see. 30 years does seem to be a good, a good milestone, though, and I had six years before that, so it's been quite a career. Maybe it is time, getting close time for another adventure. <laughs> too, too often, I don't think journalists take the time to be well-rounded due to the demands of the day-to-day, -day. Mm -hmm. but you have a lot of outside interests. You're a published author, you're involved in a great deal of volunteer work for which you've received the Sovereign's Medal for Volunteers from the mm -hmm. Governor General, you're an honorary Lieutenant Colonel. How do you balance all of that, and is it something that you've had to work at? You know, I... You know, I, I guess selfishly, I would say it's all, it's all kind of, I've been very, very fortunate. It's when you, when you put it all together like that, it, it sounds like a lot, but it, but really when you, I must be good at time management because it, it, it's not that big. It, I mean, those accolades are very nice. I don't know how to put this. It's kind of like you're sort of, um, you just kind of put it in perspective, like everything just sort of fell into place and, and that happened. The honorary colonel thing. It, I've always, what I've done, I guess the best way to put it, Connie, is like this. The things that I pick selfishly are things that I love to do. Like generally if I'm, I'm I, I see there's a motorcycle uh, event uh, along with something. Well, I love to ride motorcycles and so does my wife, Deb. So we'll go and, and join up with a group and then I can be sort of the spokesperson for them and also get a camera out and give them lots of publicity and help them raise some money. With kids with cancer, it's affected my family as cancer has affected so many other people. So I got on board with that. Drinking and driving, my sister, unfortunately, was killed by a drunk driver in 1996 near Tisdale, Saskatchewan. And she was one of my biggest supporters. She was only 18 months younger than me. She'd come out to every gig I had, and, and she was doing good, left behind two lovely boys who are now in their 30s. So I got on board with drinking and driving and tried to raise awareness in school. So the things that I've done, and prostate cancer, with the ride for dad, my Uncle Bob is a prostate cancer survivor. He's 90 now, living in Minneapolis. So to be honest with you, the things that I pick are kind of like like that. They're things that that touch me and my life, so that I can have you know I'm enthusiastic about them because they uh, they've affected me. If you look at it that way, it's all sort of part and parcel of the of just what you do every day, and then then you come to work and and do the news. Overwhelmingly, when people talk about you, Gord, they describe you using words like nice and calm and gentle, but you ride motorcycles, you've written a book on rum running and mobsters in the 1920s, you play rock and roll. There's obviously more than a little bit of an attraction to the dark side, which ordinarily mm -hmm. one might see as the antithesis of an anchorman persona. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, you know what it's like. I mean, uh, you're a music lover. I mean, most of the rock and roll and music and blues are, are, are deeply rooted in tragedy and uh, loneliness. And, and uh, we've all seen, and I'm not alone with that. I think we all have different 
facets just because the guy you see on TV uh, with a, a suit and tie on and and giving you the news because you know you're not allowed to say your own opinion you have to be you know you're you're, um, you're objective in everything that you do that's what that's we're trained as as journalists so people don't get to see that other side when you're out in the public and you're meeting people at charity events and stuff I treat them like gold they're watching the news they're paying attention and, and uh, before the pandemic most of them had very nice things to say now sometimes you go to Rona not so much but uh, that's okay everybody's got an opinion and uh, I always was raised uh, sort of like you treat others the way you want to be treated and uh, I try to keep that in uh, in line but if uh, you cross me there there will be some problems for sure <laughs> <laughs> I think I think there's historically been pressure in the business to fit a certain mold. And you mentioned that you didn't know how to tie a tie when you first got hired and had to mm. cut your hair. Do you think there's room to loosen up our idea of what a TV anchor person should be and should look like? I think uh, I think I've helped do that a little bit by riding a hot rod Harley Davidson onto many different sets and parades and stuff. People are always shocked when they realize that it's that's the same guy that's on TV. Are you kidding me? And uh, then they realize that, you know, oh, well, wait a minute. I guess he's like all the rest of us. We all have different different sides to us. So I'd like to see, yeah, I don't see why we still have to, you know, have a guy sitting at a, at a, at a news desk. And, you know, you wonder in 20 years if that's going to change. It's loosened up quite a bit now already with just, uh, you know, some of the, the things. But, you know, it's still pretty, it's still pretty staged, isn't it? The way you look at the way it was done back in the 60s. 70s it's it hasn't changed that much in a way just that we're more able to bring you live news quicker i guess and and you have to kind of be entertaining by the time you get to weather then you can have a bit of a laugh and then you get a feature with a water skiing squirrel at the end of the newscast i mean thinking about it now over 30 years not much has changed that way so <laughs> what's next for you i understand you have a trip planned and it might have happened already to retrace some of your grandfather's World War One battles, like yeah, Bridge exactly. and Passchendaele. Oh, I, that's I'm so glad. I'm, yeah, that's has not happened yet, and I can't wait. I got family over in England, and uh, once things settle down and I have more time uh, coming up here in the in the future, I'm going to exactly. Deb and I are going over to England, hook up with the with the family that's over there where my grandfather was born in Manchester area, and uh, I got to get over and see. Um, uh, Bimmy Ridge, and he fought at Passchendaele, and Yeep, he was my best friend. I've got his uh, uniform hanging up still on a mannequin in my, I call it my bunker, and uh, he was such a great guy, and and uh, funny, and very musical. He, we used to sing. I'd play accordion when I was a kid, and he'd sing along. He always had a pipe in his in his mouth, but he was a decorated World War One war hero, and um, never talked about the war like the old soldiers did, but I would love to walk in his footsteps and just see exactly where he was because uh, I've got all of his military records and they're very well documented. I can uh, get into the, the areas that he was. So um, yeah, that's definitely on the, on the bucket list and who knows, I'm a huge history fan. So, um, you know, you can take what you've learned from, uh, from my on-air performance. And I love narrating different uh, stories, whether they be documentaries or maybe there's a history channel thing in the future, who knows? It's kind of, I'm very excited about it. You never know what might come up. Have you had a gig with the band since the pandemic? Not since the pandemic. We've jammed a couple times, but the last gig we did was a festival and it was down in um, just out of Red Deer. And I'm going to try to, it was a, it was like a party in the mud is what it was, but uh, Our Lady Peace was playing. The other bands escaped me. We had a lot of fun. It was a great one. That was, no, it's not the last one. We played here at the Starlight Room 
And I think that was tied into a charity. And the Starlight Rooms are a historic room. I think it goes back to the 20s or 30s. And uh, that's a lot of fun because Kurt Cobain and Nirvana's name is still in the back of the dressing room back there. They've kind of turned it into a shrine to all the bands that came through, like Gordy Johnson and Big Sugar and all those great uh, the Saskatoon bands like Northern Pikes and all that kind of stuff. So it's got quite a history. Edmonton, like Winnipeg and so many of our prairie cities have such a, a, a rich uh, rock and roll, all kinds of music history, really, when you think about it. Is there a thought you want to close on, Gord? Well, I'd like to kind of just hammer home just for young people who like to write and be creative and, and they're looking at journalism as a, you know, as a, a profession. I just want to say because there's so much negativity out there that it's not going to last forever and don't give up and chase your dreams like I did. If you can be a kid from Saskatoon like me who came out of a rock and roll band and, uh, and got to where I am, you know, this many years later and had a successful career and and just some great stories. And I can't, I can't really say anything negative about it. I just feel like if you like writing and you're interested in people, I would say go for it and uh, check out your local uh, uh, journalism uh, programs in your area and just uh, and go for it because uh, you're needed and, and always will be. Congrats on your milestone, Gordon. Thanks so much for joining us. Connie, it was such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. She's got rattlesnake shoes and a rose tattoo. listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. Looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C, as we explore all areas of human wellness physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.